Yeah, are you ready to go? I am ready to go. Let me turn my gain down a little bit. I seem loud. Got enough sleep? No. I have not gotten enough sleep. I've been following the Minneapolis protests very closely. Um, and I've also had to work these past couple mornings. So stay up until at least one watching some protest videos. Yeah. Be up at five to go to work. <sighs> yeah. Have you, did you check any news since you woke up? I did. The latest thing that I saw was an oil tanker tried to run down protesters on 35 in the cities. Yeah. There might be a couple other things. The, uh, the governor just had a press conference with all the other normal people. So there's some more info, but we'll get to that in time. So where do you want to start? Yeah. So for our listeners, I guess, whoever may be tuning in now, or relatively soon as we're recording or in the future, today is May 31st. It's, what is it, 740 as we're recording, as we're starting to record in the e- in the p.m., And so we're kind of in the midst of a whole lot of different things going on right now. So as we've mentioned before, we're from the Twin Cities. We, or I at least, probably you two, would identify as being from the Minneapolis suburbs. It's Mm -hmm. sort of an interesting situation with having two cities as the like main metropolitan cities instead of just one but we're from the minneapolis side up on the northern suburbs and so this is all happening in our city which is a i know things like this have happened a couple times already in our city in the last five years Mm -hmm. but uh this is something that seems much larger in scale. And on top of that, for the last two, I was living in Denver. So I wasn't here to experience these things firsthand. And I know right now, technically, you're not here to experience experience these things firsthand because you're in Iowa, but this is still, like, this is, this is our hometown. Yeah, so I'm in Iowa, which is why I haven't been partaking in protests and stuff in Minneapolis, but why I've been staying up until midnight, two, three in the morning to keep up to date on them. Yeah. As well as participating in things in Iowa. Yeah. So I think maybe, I don't know if the best way, but at least a way to start this is maybe start at the beginning of this story specifically, the specific uh, chain of events and then go from there i am as we're doing this i have the tv on on mute so if i sound a little distracted at moments it's because i'm watching live coverage this is all still unfolding i'm gonna try and get this up as soon after we record this as i can 
mm-hmm. but it still is going to end up being a couple days. But uh, things are live for us as we're recording them, and things are ever changing. So yeah, and I just don't imagine things will necessarily slow down these next couple days. Yeah, I was curious. We'll get to some of this, but last night was the first night that force was really used in order to maintain a curfew. So I was curious what would happen after that, but it has a. Uh, it seems to have remained hot thus far. So we'll get to that as time goes on in this podcast episode. Yes, but so, for right now, starting at the beginning, so what sparked all of this? Yeah, so on Monday, you and I were at Dad's with the family because it was his birthday and it was Memorial Day. But on the same day, there was, uh, so on Monday, while we were doing our thing, there was a a police-involved killing on the south side of Minneapolis. The, um, there were four officers who were called, well, I should say police were called to a forgery in progress, which resulted in four officers responding to the incident. Uh, Apparently, the person involved, George Floyd, had tried to pay for cigarettes with a a forged $20 bill or a fake $20 bill. Counterfeit, that's the correct word, I guess. And the uh, subsequent arrest of George Floyd resulted in one of the officers having his knee placed on George Floyd's neck for almost nine minutes. Two of the other officers, video has shown, were kneeling on top of George Floyd at other points in his body at the same time, with the fourth officer sort of just standing by. And the entire incident was filmed from various vantage points, but the video that sort of brought this to the front on Tuesday morning was of one of the bystanders filming basically from the time that the officer had his knee on George Floyd's neck until, I guess I don't know for sure, I didn't watch the complete video of that, I've just pretty much seen press coverage of that. But since that point, other videos from different vantage points have come out to show more of that situation. Um, At the time, there were as there have been for a long time now, continued questions about police use of force and consequences for police actions. Um, I don't remember specifically, but it was... Actually, I guess I do remember specifically. So on Friday, the officer who had his knee on George Floyd's neck was arrested and charged with murder and manslaughter. Uh, As of right now, as far as I know, the other three officers involved have not been arrested or charged. And then what may be news to you is that the case has been handed over to the Minnesota Attorney General, who is Keith Ellison. Yes, I did see that before I, or after I woke up from my nap. Yeah, so the way it would have worked is that the uh, Hennepin County Attorney, which is the county that we grew up in and that houses Minneapolis, would have been the lead uh, prosecutor in charge. Now at this point, I don't know how it goes about in terms of transferring the um, the prosecuting powers or however that works, but that has been handed over to the Attorney General, Keith Ellison. 
I guess that's sort of the facts of the case as far as that goes and sort of a very broad overview. Um, on top of that, protests, very um, understandably so, started on Tuesday. They turned... There, or there was violence that began, I think, on Wednesday. I don't think it started as early as Tuesday. Uh, violence sort of started at the epicenter, or the epicenter of violence started at the third precinct building for the Minneapolis Police Department, which is where it was believed, and I don't know if confirmed or not, that the four officers were operating out of, that that was their, their, um, their office that they came from. And that uh, eventually ended with a lot of buildings being burned in that area, which sort of surprisingly to, surprisingly to me isn't really close to where this incident took place, where the, the interaction with George Floyd and police happened. And then after that... Uh, uh, Minneapolis decided, or the mayor of Minneapolis decided that the police would abandon the precinct building on, I don't remember, Wednesday night, I think, maybe Thursday night. And so that building was also burnt as well. After that, protests moved over to the 5th precinct building, which I would say is closer to the original uh Point where things began and is actually where Emily and I were down there yesterday briefly there was a large protest going on in front of that building and then on I'm trying to remember my days now so on Friday night it was the first night of a curfew that kind of spread throughout the metro area but specifically in Minneapolis, it was not uh, enforced by force. And so there were a lot of uh, a lot of violent incidents down near the 5th Precinct, which is also on the south side of Minneapolis. This one would be closer to directly south of downtown Minneapolis for anyone who doesn't know the area. And then when we were down there on Saturday, it was really strange to see just sort of everything. I have some video that I put up on YouTube on my personal page, which I will link to in show notes, sort of of all of the large group of people that were down there when we were down there, plus people trying to clean things out. It was also very strange to see buildings boarded up like 15 blocks from where the protest was happening. And then Saturday night, which is last night for us as we're recording, curfew was uh forcibly enforced i've spent the last two nights watching on local tv since i'm in minneapolis now or in the area so they were covering all of that live on tv and so when the first uh interaction with police and protesters happened on saturday night i was watching uh there have been a lot of other issues with the uh, that policing of protests since that's happened. There have been multiple uh, journalists arrested. Uh, some national, some local. One, the national CNN anchor live, or CNN reporter on live TV. Uh, 
there's there been was, a lot of questions yeah. for me as well about sort of use of force in enforcing the the uh, the curfew there was video that came out yesterday of police firing tracer rounds which i think are basically paintballs at people who were on their own porch and there have been other there was the incident today with the tanker truck in the aftermath of that there were a couple of people who were still on the highway which i guess we'll get to more specifics but it's like two guys that were just standing still who cops ran up to as they're standing still and then just straight up maced them in their face before they tried to arrest them at all. Which I don't understand how that's how that's the tactic we're using. And then this um, just one more thing I guess before I let you talk. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, from what I've heard there have been issues with Minneapolis police beyond the racial issues that are going on right now or that are being highlighted right now. There have been racial issues with police, I think, since the beginning of policing in this country. And uh, I guess we'll talk about those things as we go on here. So I will cede the floor. Kind of working backwards from the things that you just said. Um, In terms of excessive police force, Um, protests have broken out in several major cities across the U.S., and I've seen videos uh, specifically from NYPD and LAPD using excessive force on protesters. There was one video of an NYPD squad car, like, ramming through a barricade of protesters. There was another video that I think was NYPD of a officer who was kind of scanning the crowd, picked a target, pulled down this target's face mask, and then pepper sprayed him with seemingly no motive other than to pepper spray him. Um, a lot of videos of just excessive force by police. Um, another thing, again, working backwards, with journalists being... Targeted. There have been, you said, the CNN reporter who was arrested live on CNN in Minneapolis. There was a reporter from, I think, the LA Times who was in Minneapolis last night who um, I think was shot at with tear gas and rubber bullets, found cover, police pushed them out of their cover, and then was shot at again, and they posted bruises, uh, posted pictures of like all their bruises that they have. There was a WCCO photographer. WCCO is one of the prominent local stations in Minneapolis. So this photographer was out, and in all of these cases that I've seen, these reporters have like clearly identified themselves as reporters. Like we are reporters. We're with the press. The press are exempt from the curfew that the uh, mayor has put in place. So they have every right to be there. And the police, all the videos seem to show the police just like, get out of here. We're press. Doesn't matter. Get out of here. And then arresting them. So the WCCO reporter was arrested. I heard that they were later released a couple hours later. Just like, why, why arrest them in the first place? Like, it's a person with... A news camera who has, like, a a press badge. They've identified themselves to you as press. 
Um, what else? I took a couple notes of things I wanted to have a discussion on. Another thing that I've seen about all the violence on Friday night was that the protests were mostly peaceful and then there were a whole bunch of fires. And it was interesting because all of the protests seemed to be centered in South Minneapolis, so south of downtown, closer to the 5th Precinct, like you mentioned. But many of the fires were in northern Minneapolis. And the theories, I'm not sure if they're theories or have been identified as facts, have been that these are people who are taking advantage of the situation with some sort of extreme white nationalist agenda who are lighting these fires and taking advantage of the protests as a guise for causing chaos in places that aren't currently involved in the protest. And then last night, which would have been Saturday night, the 30th, um, our suburb, we're from Brooklyn Park, it has more or less mostly been out of the press's eye. I've seen a few reports of gunshots just from local people. I've seen a couple reports of stores being vandalized or taken from but nothing too dramatic. Except for last night on the 30th, I saw several reports of Brooklyn Park and the surrounding area having a whole bunch of uh, KKK members gathering in the area with the intent of doing drive-by shootings and generally causing chaos under the guise of protests are happening right now. We're going to take advantage of that. Yeah, so I guess I should say on that point, as far as uh, what authorities have said throughout press conferences throughout the last few days, the most recent press conference was about an hour ago, or started about an hour ago as we're talking. Uh, the, what's his name, like the commissioner of the Department of Public Safety, I think is his title. He did say that they have been stopping multiple vehicles that don't have license plates on them that are stolen. And as they have uh, stopped the vehicles, people who are in the vehicles will flee on foot and they're finding either weapons or fire starting type of materials. And he also mentioned that they found multiple like caches of incendiary materials like fire starting materials in the area of South Minneapolis where things have already burned. They have not said at this point whether these are, or if these are like organized by specific groups. The I think the commissioner declined to comment on that. So there was a specific question from a reporter at this most recent press conference. And uh, I've seen a lot, I've had to, I haven't had my own personal Twitter for uh, over two years now, but now that we have the podcast, I've been using that to kind of browse around Twitter. And there have been multiple times where I've had to stop because there are just people on multiple sides of the issue, opinion-wise, who are uh, quite obviously just sort of flinging whatever they think of into the Twitterverse. And so it's hard to know at this point 
who is credible in terms of making uh, making statements like that. But it, some of these things have been shown to be true by authorities as the weekend has gone on. As we talk about all this and about the sort of the aftermath specifically, I think it's easy to forget about what happened on Monday and to forget about um, sort of that specific issue as a whole lot of different things have occurred in the last week. I'm still watching TV as we're about to hit the curfew start. The curfew starts at 8 o'clock p.m. local time, and uh, we just hit that, so they're showing live on TV. There are a lot of people down on the highway right now. Or sort of in that area. They've got a news helicopter up there. It's just, it's so... It's so weird to have this happening in in our city. And it's bizarre to look at the other places across the country have implemented some sort of curfew. And it's interesting to see that unfold. I follow a good number of people in the Chicago area. And last night there were protesters out and then they started commenting that several of the like routes out of the city have been had been blocked off um by police barricades or like there was a a bridge somewhere that was like a lift bridge that was lifted so no one could go over it and then they announced a curfew and a whole bunch of people were like how do you expect people to get out of the city before this curfew that you announced right now that starts in like two hours or 45 minutes or whatever like how do you expect people to get out of the city and they thought that it was a way for police to kind of trap people with the intent of arresting them to kind of avoid the problem. And the most recent report I saw um, as of Sunday night, tonight, said that across the nation, 1,600 people have been arrested in relation to protests. So with... With all the information over the last week, all the things that have been going on, I do want to go back to Monday again here. And I want to sort of talk through uh, talk through that issue and talk through that event and sort of talk through how that ties into other issues that we've been seeing sort of throughout the country for a long time. So the... One of the difficult things about this is that, like, this is a a police officer now who's charged with murder while he was on duty arresting someone. And it's so hard because cops are supposed to be people who are protecting people. And it's, they, because of that, have a lot of specific... Um, or they're allowed to do their job with more force than civilians would be allowed to use in order to do certain things. And so that has largely been a reason used for why incidents like this go either uncharged, unprosecuted, or acquitted. Mm -hmm. In this 
in this instance, I don't know how how you look at the video and you don't um, at least specifically for the one officer who's already in custody and charged I don't know how he would be acquitted at this point um, for the other three officers I think it will be more complicated but the attorney general has already said they're looking at that he also said he wasn't prepared to comment on the case at this point in time, which is understandable. Part of part of another issue is that this all has to go through the legal system. This isn't just a, a trial in public type thing. Like I've seen a lot of petitions to have the uh, the charges raised, and just because we're creating petitions for that doesn't mean that legally that's a possibility there are a lot of as we go through talking about these issues there are a lot of things that are only going to be changed through legislation these aren't things that can be changed in courts or even if it looks like they might be potentially changed in courts there are a lot of cases where people in the judicial branch will not uh, will not determine the case in that way there has been there's a thing called legal precedent, and a lot of what happens in the past in judicial rulings informs what happens in the present in judicial rulings. And we'll talk a little about that as time goes on as well here. But uh, there are still a lot of people outside. Mm -hmm. this, uh, this might end up getting ugly. I'm watching this live, which is probably not the best way to record a podcast to also be watching something else, but it's... Uh, it's uh relevant it's relevant and it's unfolding right now um so what you were saying about this having to go through the legal system and people specifically with people wanting the charges raised so the police officer who has been arrested he was charged with third degree murder and i did a quick google search to kind of understand the differences between first second and third degree murder and third-degree murder is basically, you killed someone and, like, you killed someone, it was an accident. And people are arguing that this could be first-degree murder, which is, this was a premeditated killing, you knew exactly what you were doing. And I think, I mean, looking and gathering the evidence myself, I feel like you could argue first-degree murder... Um, a newer video surfaced of, I think it was a camera outside a store, um, where the initial arrest happened. Uh, there's a video of George Floyd, like, sitting in the back of a police car, and then the police officers just, like, reaching into the car and beating him up. And then there were, um, claims of him resisting arrest, and then a, a different restaurant released their security footage, and... He appeared to be compliant, not fighting arrest or anything. And then also just the, the big argument of you can't kneel on someone's neck for nearly nine minutes um, without knowing that that has the potential to kill them, even if you weren't intending for that to happen. Which I don't know how you couldn't be intending for that to happen. That's just my 
um, opinion on that. Like, if I were wrestling with you, no matter how mad I got, because we used to wrestle a lot, because I was mad at you a lot, I don't think I ever tried to kneel on your neck. Like, I never actively tried to kill you. And I think I knew that if I took certain actions, they could lead to very severe consequences. And I always figured the safest way to face off against you was to sit on you. So there was a lot of that. <laughs> a lot of that. Yeah, um, you never tried to kneel on my neck and cut off my hair. This is a similar question to a case that happened six years ago in New York, the Eric Garner case. Mm-hmm. Where he was put in a chokehold by NYPD. And uh, that officer was acquitted six years ago, from what I remember. And I don't mm-hmm. remember what the other officers who were around. There were multiple officers involved in that incident as well. Um, yeah, the other thing you commented on that I think has been central to a lot of my conversations in Iowa is that the police, we often think of them as someone meant to, as like an organization meant to protect and serve us. But we are white people, and I think that people of color, black people specifically, have a very different relationship with the police, and they don't have the experience of police being there to protect and serve. Which is one of the big issues that I think we're tackling right now. Trying to understand how different people experience different things in this country and how our experience as white people in this country is not the universal experience in this country. So back in 2014, I was... So 2014, as far as I can remember, was the summer when both the, inc- the, the incident in Ferguson, and I'm going to, I guess, say right now for anyone listening, I'm going to keep using the word incident because I don't really know what other word to use because there are a lot of these things that have happened. So I guess be prepared for a lot of the uses of the word incident. Um, 2014, the incident in Ferguson with Mike Brown happened that summer. And the incident with Eric Garner in New York happened that year, I believe, as well. During the uh, during the incident in Ferguson, there was sort of similar to what's happening now, but on seemingly a smaller scale at this point. Protests happening basically every night. And I was watching live stream footage from Missouri as I was living in Denver. But at the time... I was studying an issue called mass incarceration, which is a, um, it's an issue dealing largely with, uh, policing, but also with the criminal justice system kind of as a whole. It deals with the issues in terms of race involved with the criminal justice system and how cases are prosecuted the number of people represented in uh, prisons and jails, the uh, the severe rise in prison population in the last 30 years, at least in this country. Uh, I guess 40 at this point, actually, now that it's 2020. 
and then uh, a whole lot of other things to go along with that. Oh, they just started launching tear gas. Anyways, with the the study of mass incarceration, there is a there was a specific case that is sort of created when we talked about legal precedent. It created sort of how issues of race have been dealt with in court since the mid 1980s, and more specifically with proving. Uh, race as a reason or intent in any crime or in any uh, prosecution of any crime, I guess. So the case happened, uh, I believe in the late 70s, there was a, a man who was charged with uh, killing a police officer during a robbery and then it, this was in Georgia, which was uh, which had the death penalty and still does have the death penalty. And as a part of the sentencing, the person who was charged with the uh, the death of this police officer was convicted and was sentenced to death. As a part of that, a study was conducted by, um, I guess, academics hired by the defense that showed that there was a racial bias statistically in the number of times that a black man is, is uh, sentenced to death versus the number of times anyone of any other race is sentenced to death in the state of Georgia. And I guess it's worth, note, worth noting that even though the people who did the study were hired by the defense, they specifically said in their... Uh, when they were on the stand that they expected that there would not be any statistical evidence of that. And then they said that based on every sort of way that they could manipulate the statistics to try and determine what is the most accurate outcome, uh, it still showed that there was statistical racial bias in the number of times that black men were uh, sentenced to death as opposed to anyone of any other race. And I guess specifically for that case, it was a black man killing a white man. Uh, the Supreme Court of the United States heard that case, I believe it was in 1985. Or no, it says 1986 is when the decision came down. And they determined in a 5-4 to four vote that in order to prove racial bias in a sentence or conviction there needs to be specific intent shown in each and every case that race is a factor in that issue they cannot show using statistics that the system is a part of the problem and that there's racial bias within the system when determining sentencing or conviction and as, as of 2014 and 2015 when I was studying that, and I would assume in the five years since, there has not been a successful um, a challenge of that precedent. And so when it comes to trying to determine in cases like this whether race was a factor, it's, it's going to be very difficult legally to prove that race was a factor without the cop saying something about race as he is kneeling on the guy's neck. 
whether that's right or wrong, which, I mean, lean your way, but I think there is a lot of evidence that there are a lot of racial issues still in the United States, especially in policing. Um, it's going to be very difficult, I guess, is the point, to prove that race was a factor. And in terms of, a, there's currently a civil rights investigation going on through the FBI as to whether George Floyd's civil rights were violated during the arrest and during his uh, death. It's going to be very hard to prove or to bring a case in that. And so when it comes to trying to, I guess the point I'm trying to make here is when it comes to trying to effect change through the judicial system, it's a place where at this point it's not going to happen. As far as I can tell, it hasn't happened in the 35 years since 1985. And so part of trying to address the issue of racial bias or racial issues of sort of any sorts in the country, a lot of that is going to happen, have to happen, one, in the legislative branch of the government, which in the United States is where laws are made, and then it's also going to have to, have to happen in public opinion and in public understanding of what the issues are and why these are issues and why these are still issues. And that, I guess, is where where I'm at with that right now. I don't know if you have any other comments on that. No, I had never heard of that particular case. Um, if you're going back in history, improving racial bias and whatnot, I think the biggest case that comes to mind was the Emmett Till murder in, I think that happened in the 50s. Yeah. Um, so a, a white woman accused Emmett Till, a, I think he was 14 at the time, 14-year-old black boy, of whistling at her in like a flirtatious manner, and then... Um, some white people killed him. They were acquitted of the murder, and then because the U.S. has a um, you-can't-be-tried-twice-for-the-same-crime law, after they were acquitted, they announced, like, yeah, we did this. It was because he was he was a black man. He wasn't a man. He was a child. Yeah, they did an interview with Life magazine three months after they were acquitted. Mm-hmm. And basically specifically told the story of how they killed him. Yeah, and then several decades down the line, I believe that the um, white woman who accused him of whistling at her in the first place was like, yeah, that never happened. Yeah. And then I guess I should also say that it's entirely possible that I'm either getting things wrong or forgetting things, but... I think as far as a broad overview of the McCleskey v. Kemp case specifically, that's a... I don't, at this point, think I'm getting anything wrong. Um, On top of that, it's been crazy throughout the years to read different things from past American history that still sort of seem to ring true to what's happening today. So there's a there's a series of books, I guess, but I just read the first one. It's a, a history of the civil rights movement from 1960 or 1955 rather to 1968. 
the first book covers 55 to 63, and that was what I read. I believe it's called Parting the Waters. That's the first one. Anyways, they it covers very extensively that sort of... There were like two or three chapters of history leading up to 1955, and then from 1955 to 63, it's like 800 pages of history. And it just was like over and over and over story after story after story of police violence like recounted and when you're talking about a time where a lot of segregation was legal to begin with but then there's less uh public awareness or oversight of those types of things happening it was just like police making things up in order to arrest people of color or in order to brutalize people of color and then fast forward to reading a book that Cornell Cornell West wrote in the early 1990s and he's talking about like the same issues over and over and then fast forward to 10 years after that sort of the first main book on mass incarceration comes out and it's like talking about these issues at a point when there are a little over a million people in jail in the United States in jail and prison and then 10 years after that, another book comes out, and now there are two and a half million people in jail or prison in the United States. And a large percentage of them black, very overrepresented for the number of people who are in the country. And uh, I know we're just talking about, or I'm just talking about statistics here, but that's a lot of what captured my attention. I'm a very statistically minded person, and a lot of these statistics have been verified by multiple people and a lot of them are verifiable on your own in terms of prison population you know you can find out the prison population in the united states very easily but um the issue i think is that there are a lot of people for whom the system is working whatever system you might want to talk about economic social uh criminal justice oriented any of those things who don't understand that there are issues in other communities that aren't their own and that is a huge portion of what the protests are covering and have been covering for the last well six years specifically since the ferguson issue or since the ferguson case with uh mike brown but it's just like, it's, it's just a constant, I don't know. I yeah, don't know. I went to a protest in Ames yesterday, which was bizarre. I think I'm going to make a YouTube video on it. Um, Eric will link that if I make it by the time this podcast comes out. Um, but there was a speaker who volunteered to speak and was talking about how people may view the protests or the actions that are being taken by protesters as extreme or not fit for the crime that happened. Um, but what isn't being talked about or is, but not as publicly by media outlets is how it's not just people responding to this one incident, it's people responding to the uh, several hundred years of slavery followed by um, segregation and getting into this time where 
And I think any sort of statistical setting, statistical measure of whatever it may be, economics, uh, social, criminal justice, that people of color are disadvantaged by these systems and that is why there are these large-scale protests and it's not just this one man was murdered though that is important that's not the situation is evolving to that is not the main issue the main issue is over the past several hundred years black people have been disadvantaged by the system and like you're mentioning there's not the legal um grounds, I guess, to actually act on those issues in some sort of way that many people would deem meaningful. Yeah. And then, either to add to that or tangentially related to that, I want to talk a little bit about... Again, I'm watching the TV as this is happening, so I'm a little distracted. But the Black Lives Matter movement, and that phrase specifically, Black Lives Matter, that caused a lot of backlash from specifically the white American community, or a portion of the white American community, when that started, which again is probably in 2014. But it's worth noting, and I saw maybe the best sort of succinct description I've seen of that on Twitter in the last couple days. But so, and then I will attempt to paraphrase here. Black Lives Matter is not a way of saying no one else's lives matter. It's a way of emphasizing that this specific group of people matters just as much as everyone else does. So when people turn around and say all lives matter, in response to Black Lives Matter, they're not actually saying all lives matter. They're trying to break down sort of the the focus that is being attempted to be turned towards black lives. And so mm-hmm. the issue here is that what we seem to continue to see is that through word much is said about black lives being equal to other lives in the United States in action it does not appear that way and that is where the black lives matter movement sort of sprung from more specifically where their name sprung from this is sort of a a continuing sort of the continuing story of race in the United States. Yeah, the main analogy that I've seen on Twitter for the name of the Black Lives Matter movement um, and people responding with, well, all lives matter, is like, if you're a firefighter and there is a house on fire, you go put out that one house because in that particular moment that house is on fire. You don't start spraying all the houses in the area because one house is on fire and it's not fair that it's being sprayed when the other houses aren't, when it's literally on fire. So it's not to say that the surrounding houses aren't important or they don't matter or they don't have um, a significant story. It's that in the current moment, they are not being... um, 
devastated the way the house on fire is. Yeah. And then... I guess I have one more thing to talk about with this. I don't know how much more you have, and then we can move to additional issues related to what's been happening this week. But, um... There is a lot... There is a lot more that I used to know about this topic because I was very specifically, like I was studying it for an internship and then I was studying it for school as a part of my graduate program. Uh, Since that point in time, I've let a lot of that study slip very far away from focus. And so a lot of things that I would like to talk about and that I would like to speak about with any sort of like intelligence or understanding i don't have that ability right now and that i think is one of my laments and repents as this uh this has been unfolding over the last week is that i let myself stop paying attention to that and that i don't want to talk much about privilege in this podcast episode but that specifically is my privilege since these things aren't happening to me that i can turn away and not focus on these things because they're not happening to me and they're not they're not negatively affecting me in my life and so like as I personally have been trying to figure out what I'm doing with my life and sort of focusing on myself I've stopped focusing on those issues and continuing to study and learn more about those things which in turn is a for someone who wants to be able to speak intelligently about these things to my own community it's definitely not helpful to not be studying them or to not be living alongside them as they're happening and so like i don't want i don't want what i say to ring hollow which i guess is going to mean the only way for it not to ring hollow is action moving forward but it's the thing I need to get back to, and I, that I have sort of, to my shame, re-realized in the last week that I need to get over myself, I guess, and get back into both studying these things and then turning around and uh, doing whatever actions that I have in order to help positively change the system. Because a lot of these, a lot of these are systemic issues, like. Use of force by police has been an issue for a long time. And it's very difficult for someone who's not in the police force to seemingly affect change. But we're, we are the people who are being policed by the police. And so I think it's very important to realize that we have a say in what happens. Additionally, we live in a democracy or a democratic republic. And we have the ability to affect change in the legislation that happens in terms of who we vote for, in terms of once people are in office, what we say to them and how we communicate with them, and what we communicate is important to us. And these are a lot of really big things or sort of um, big systems and long-lasting things and issues that don't get changed overnight. And so they're not very um, sexy, for lack of a better word, or something that people want to spend a lot of time focusing on in terms of a long period of time. Uh, So somewhere in this rambling, there's a point, I'm sure, which is a 
I need to get back into actually focusing on these things. Again, one the floor of the, is seated. One of the um, good conversations that we had at the Ames protest yesterday, um, kind of in the same vein of what you were just talking about, is that as white people, we do have the privilege to just step away from these issues because they're not currently affecting us negatively like we can see that they're happening but if we decide we don't want to we have the privilege of stepping away from them um whereas other people in the country don't have the opportunity to just stop thinking about these issues and so in order to help in these instances we need to like you said educate yourself continue to study what's happening um and the big call yesterday from Ames, uh, this one particular speaker was that it's not up to your um, minority friends to educate you about the system. Like, it's up to you to educate yourself so that you can help them because they are constantly fighting this battle and we have the privilege to walk away from the battle if we feel like it. Yeah, it's important to realize that our in-group needs to be larger that we need to recognize we need to recognize that everyone is a part of our community and like that seems like a very I don't know lofty goal maybe I don't know but it's like it's true we're all we are all humans and a lot of people are not treated as though they're humans one of the things as I was studying these sorts of things in college that I read was that so in order to do certain things uh, specifically in this instance to kill someone else you need to dehumanize them so you need to make it in your mind as though that person is not a human so that you can do something to them that you wouldn't do to a human but in doing that in dehumanizing someone else you are dehumanizing yourself by lacking to see the humanity in other people and there are a lot of issues it's not well they're right next to the cops right there it's not so like it's not just issues where is someone killing someone else it's like it could be any number of things where we expect certain things of ourselves or for ourselves we expect certain things to be available to us but then when we see people I mean, I guess really anyone, but in these cases, people different from ourselves getting certain things. We think, well, why is that person getting that in that way when I am not able to do that? That is not fair. One of the, when I was working at camp, one of the most annoying things that was ever happened, it happened all the time, is when a kid would say, that's not fair. And it just like, it bothered me so much. And like, we have like, full-grown adult people like whining like children that things aren't fair when like systemically they're not fair in the opposite direction from what people are complaining about so i don't want this to turn into a rant either but i think that we there's so much there's a lot that needs work there's a lot we need to work on and I guess we'll push this into 
sort of another topic. Elena and I, I guess all three of the siblings, we went to a school in our area that was very diverse, but it was, it wasn't until I went to Bethel, which is not very diverse, that I started thinking about these issues. There were, there was at least one sort of a counselor type person in high school that tried to get us to think about these issues, but the topic was so foreign to me and at least to a couple friends of mine looking back on it that it's it was hard to engage with and it is i guess important to remember that like these topics are hard to engage with if you're learning about them for the first time and you're seeing how difficult life is to live just period as a person so it's very hard to focus on other people but that doesn't mean we don't get to. That doesn't mean we get a pass just because life is hard. Among, I'm sure, I'm, I mean, I'm missing so many things, but. I don't know. Yeah, and I think just for anyone listening, when we say, or when Eric says that we went to a very diverse high school, I actually looked up some statistics about our high school. Um, my freshman year of college, I don't exactly remember why, it was for some sort of project, and the racial breakdown was basically, um, 20% white people, about, like, a little over 30% black people, around 30% of Asian people, and then whatever, oh, math whatever 20-ish percent left um, was other racial minorities. And that's even different from when I was in school because I remember seeing numbers when I was in school that it was 35% white, 33% black, roughly 25% sort of East Asian, sort of a variety. Uh, I guess sort of specifically our area has a pretty large Hmong community which is a community from Laos in Southeast Asia but sort of a variety of Asian cultures and countries of origin and then fill in Latin American students and I'm sure from places other than that I don't know I should I don't know if I can find the answer but I think it's worth figuring out whether 33% black means just the like people from the United States or if that also includes immigrants from African countries or Caribbean countries because there we had a fairly decently high immigrant population as well in our school we also I feel like our those numbers may be apropos of nothing but I feel like our school also had a if not large, at least continuous stream of international transfer students, which I think is interesting for a high school. I don't know if other high schools in the country do that, but I remember thinking, like, ah, this is strange to me. Because my... It was my... um, Junior year of high school is when I was a 11th grader. I played softball again and I hadn't played softball in several years 
and someone on our team was a international student from, I think, Pakistan. And it was so interesting to me that she was on our softball team, and she had she had never played softball before. She didn't know the rules of softball or baseball, and so the season, it was like a whole bunch of not necessarily returning to the school softball players, but returning to softball softball players, and then one international student. Which isn't super relevant to anything that we're discussing right now. But I think it was interesting. Yeah. But then, turn that on its head when I go to Bethel, which is well over 90% white. And then we had at least one racially charged incident my freshman year. Which led me into starting to learn about these things. Yeah, I'm at Iowa State, and one of the things that I always heard in like the application process is like Iowa State is such a diverse school and then I get here and I, we have somewhere between 10 and 20 percent minorities and so it's just almost the complete opposite of my high school experience um like statistically speaking with who's surrounding me it's interesting and just seeing like all of the we're such a diverse school I've been looking closer at some of the posts from, like, the Office of Admissions on, like, Facebook to see who's represented in all of the pictures. And they do a fairly good job of making sure that there's a good balance of pictures with white people and then people of color. But they rotate out, like, the same 20 people of color. So I have one friend who is, um... Latino, and I've seen him in, like, eight Facebook ads, and they're all different, but they're all him, just trying to boast that diversity. Like, I don't think you can call it diversity if you have one token uh, Latino person who you use for pictures, or one token black person who you, again, use for pictures. Yeah. As we're doing this, I'm watching police are advancing, I guess. This is roughly the same time yesterday when they started advancing, but things are starting to go down. They're they're in a different part of Minneapolis today because of there was a protest march from US Bank Stadium, which is sort of on in the southern part of downtown, not in South Minneapolis, but in, in downtown, but on the southern part of that. I guess figure that out in your brain. But they the march went from there onto 35W, onto the 35W bridge, and then back. And uh, so now police are encountering people in downtown instead of on the south side tonight, or at least right now, on TV. Uh, but to get back to that other conversation, I don't remember the number specifically, but after... After Bethel, after Bethel, excuse me, I went to Denver Seminary, which again was not terribly diverse, and there was a a student there who talked about, and I don't remember again the number specifically, but being one of like sixteen black people in the school, not sixteen percent, sixteen people, and so one of my even as I think about what I was learning and where I was learning. It was not a... It was not a super diverse place. At least in that... 
in that one in that area. Yeah, and with just kind of a related story about our elementary school, our elementary school yeah. was nowhere near as diverse as the high school, I don't think. But there still was some diversity, and I remember in either fifth or sixth grade, I had a black teacher um, who told us, like, I am happy to see this diversity here because when I was growing up and I went to school, there were literally two black people in my school, and it was me and my sister, and I never talked to her because I didn't want to be associated with her. And just that's an experience that, as a white person, I have never had. And I have... I've not necessarily sought out people of color to be friends with, but I've made sure that I'm surrounding myself with people from different backgrounds, um, from different races, different sexualities, different genders, what have you. Um, But I don't feel that in my current position, with being surrounded by marginalized groups of people, I don't feel singled out because I have the choice of who I'm friends with. Whereas that teacher didn't have a choice of being a a black girl surrounded by a whole bunch of white people. Yeah. I want to pivot a little bit, and I guess it's sort of fitting since I'm watching this go down on TV. There's like a group of a couple hundred people that are being surrounded by police right now. There are a lot of cops there i guess the number i heard earlier today is that there's like a police force of 800 for the city of minneapolis and right now there are over 5000 officers of varying kinds and uh national guard who are in the city right now patrolling but there's there's a lot of cops down there but uh to think about that i want to think about sort of the recent aftermath to what happened in terms of protesting and rioting that's been happening in Minneapolis. It's been, I mean, it's been happening around the country, but specifically to us, it's been happening in Minneapolis. Um, it's very hard. So part of protest, like we have, we have constitutionally a right to protest and a right to assemble. But there are certain forms of protesting that are civil disobedience, which is specifically breaking laws as protest. In the instance of what ha- what's happening right now, continuing to protest after 8 p.m. is a form of civil disobedience because there is a curfew in effect, which is, uh, I guess being outside after 8 p.m. in a lot of places right now in Minnesota is a uh, is a misdemeanor offense. And there were a lot of people last night once the curfew started to be enforced that were just like shocked that these things were happening, that police were coming out and were uh, doing what they were doing in order to, inf- wow, they're rolling Humvees now, but that they were doing what they were doing in order to enforce the thing. And there, I guess there is a, a conversation that can be had in terms of tactics, but in terms of people being arrested, I don't think people can and or should be surprised that that's happening. Like, that's, 
that specifically is a part of some protesting. In, com in contrast to that, the rioting that we've seen happen, I've never really understood rioting, I mean, well before this, but in this case specifically too, rioting doesn't seem to... I mean, it's destructive, obviously, and there have been a lot of places where I've seen, well, we need to expect that this is going to happen, this is a demonstration of all the years of frustration and anger sort of that have been bubbling below the surface, now spilling over. And there have been people, uh, I guess business owners specifically, who have not been as concerned and there have been, there's been rhetoric to the effect of these are just things and things can be replaced. But in terms of a lot of this stuff, I don't think that's entirely an accurate way to approach this topic because things a lot of things can certainly be replaced but in some instances we've seen where riots have occurred in american history where things haven't been rebuilt or haven't come back or if things have been rebuilt and have come back who owns the things now as opposed to who owned them before like for a lot of these family-owned business type things or type places, I should say. Who's going to be owning them again in the future? And how is this going to affect the communities where these things have been burnt down? Are people going to want to come back into the community? Now, I know there is potential for people who agreed with a lot of what I was saying in the last however long we've been doing this podcast so far to not agree with what I'm saying now. Uh, but I guess at this point I'm just sort of talking about how I think and I guess I'm willing to change my opinion on things as I move forward. But it seems like destruction has never been a response that really actually affects positive change. It seems like rioting and violence has, have always ended up with a negative effect. And, and again, in addition to my previous caveats, uh, I'm, like, I'm not down there right now. I'm watching this on TV. And I, like again, haven't been neg negatively affected by these things. Haven't been any other caveat you can add to this. And it may sound, I know it may sound, I don't think callous, but on, like, like, like I have an inability to empathize with the people who are going through these things. But it's been shown so far, I mean, there have been inaccurate statistics given as to who is causing destruction and who has been arrested in the city thus far. At the same time, there are like organized groups setting stuff up to burn parts of the city down or to cause violence or to whatever. And I don't think I don't think those things are acceptable and I think people in protesting circles are saying that those things aren't acceptable. And there were a lot of people in South Minneapolis last night who were 
like literally defending their businesses with I mean with whatever manpower or sort of improvised weaponry that they had in case things went bad again last night which for the most part didn't end up happening but that didn't that wasn't for lack of trying on a bunch of different people's uh parts what is going on as i keep breaking in with what's going on on the tv stuff there's a from the uh the wcco station that we talked about earlier it's our local cbs affiliate they've had one of their sports reporters there have been a number of protests this week that have been organized by athletes and so they had one of their sports reporters out with that and like in turn he's just sort of ended up in the epicenter of a bunch of different stuff and he's just been doing normal reports and it's really weird to see the sports reporter guy out covering this stuff which is related to nothing we've talked about but it's just what's happening I don't know if you have anything to add regarding to anything I've said so far. Um, yeah, I remember that when all the Ferguson protests and riots were happening, I was definitely in the vein of don't don't destroy things that'll draw attention away from your cause. Um, make this peaceful. Yada yada yada, and. Now, I'm not sure what changed, but my opinions are definitely more, um, things can be replaced, buildings can be rebuilt, these lives that have been taken can't be given back to these people, um, and I'm not a person who necessarily condones violence in any sense, like, I wouldn't consider myself a pacifist. Like I've mentioned, I wrestled you several times, or attempted to. Um, but now I'm more in the vein of just like... I have seen some reports that in certain movements, riots were the thing that like garnered the support and got the attention. And it's more like... Personally, I feel like if the riots are, like, the initial, like, stealing from Target, if those things help to draw attention to the cause, then go for it. I'm certainly not for burning down or looting from small businesses, minority-owned businesses, um, things like that. But, like, I, I support the people who... Uh, looted, quote-unquote, um, Target and any of the larger corporations, just because I think in this country we have a interesting relationship with corporations. I don't support the people who are going out and burning things just to burn things, or going out and starting violence just to start violence, but I feel like, at least in my mind, if the violence and the rioting is coming from protesters in response to the injustices or to the way the police are responding to certain things, then I'm not necessarily gonna 
go out there and participate. I'm not going to go out there and participate in that sort of thing, but I, I understand it. And I'm... I'm just willing to accept that this might be where the change comes from and people might not agree with that. And yeah, just thinking about what you said about how um, like rioting hasn't always like been the answer. I'd say that in several cases rioting isn't the answer, but my mind immediately goes to, I believe it was Haiti, the slave rebellion. That was the one slave rebellion that we learned about in high school that was, like, successful in that the slaves were able to overthrow the system that oppressed them. And so in that case, I would say that violence was not not necessarily called for but it was the answer and it was the solution to a lot of problems and so if that could be helpful in our current situation I say let it happen if it's gonna draw support it's gonna garner change yeah, and that may be a, maybe an exception to disprove my rule. I think in this case there's a lot I very much, most if not all, that I don't agree with that was happening in Minneapolis this past week. I thought, I thought they were about to arrest this reporter guy, but I think they just told his cameraman to get off something. They're, they're going to be arresting a lot of people tonight. They've got a group of like 200 people that they surrounded that they're going through and arresting. Um, I have developed, to go back to something else you talked about, I developed a lot closer to pacifism than I was growing up while I was in seminary. Uh, I don't know if I could specifically get to a point where, um, where pacifism is an ideology that I could completely mentally get behind. Uh, there are various forms of a thing called just war theory that are probably more accurate to where I stand. I think uh, I've said something to the effect to myself that in my mind I'm a pacifist, but in practice I'm more of a just war theorist. Uh, I also recognize that, like... I mean, I I don't know how much we've talked about this before, but I've definitely recognized in terms of my feelings that one of the ones I'm most easily able to connect with is anger. And there are a lot of things I do when I'm angry that I regret doing after the fact, but that doesn't mean that I didn't do them. And I think some of rioting comes from that. At the same time, uh, I think there are times when we put things in place sort of as safeguards, whether they be laws or even just sort of a social contract between us as human beings, where when certain things are done, that there are consequences that follow those things. And so in terms of rioting, I think 
I don't know, I guess that's an expansion of my position. Yeah, having having the TV on during this wasn't the most productive choice, but this is I don't know, things things have been changing every night. I'm always curious. Our, so the reporting coverage has not been fantastic as the week has gone on. And, like, they've been on this now for... What time is it? Like an hour they've been with the same guy. And it's like, so many other things I know are happening around the city that I'm curious as to what else... Oh, no, they just cut to someone else. But, like, I'm curious to what else is happening in the city that hasn't been reported on. And plus, it's... Like, I'm only able to watch one channel at a time, so I don't know what other people's news coverage looks like. I tried switching between stuff last night, but it wasn't going great. Yeah, personally, I don't have a whole... Like, I don't have a, a TV that's connected to the TV, and even if I did, um, I don't have Minneapolis channels. Yeah. But I haven't super even been following the news coverage so much like the video coverage of it there have been a couple live streams that i found um one has been unicorn riot which i don't fully understand as an organization what they are or what they do but they're uh as far as i can tell some sort of press outlet who have been on the ground in minneapolis i've been following their live stream kind of here and there and then just a civilian his name is andrew mercado uh, M-E-R-C-A-D-O. He has live streams of protests, the peaceful protests from the past several nights. Um, I think he said, I've listened to a lot of things all at once and had things muted, so I didn't get the whole story of him, but I think he said that he was in the army at one point, and so now he was just trying to go along to these protests just to record and be part of the peaceful protests. And so with those live streams, I think you should still be able to ask, access them on Facebook. You can see more of the peaceful side of things. Um, he hasn't had, just based on what I've seen, too many interactions with the police. Um... Last night, Saturday night, the police did start shooting and launching tear gas at this group, and they had to. They all ran away and regrouped later down the road. Um, but that has been interesting, I think, just seeing the civilians taking action. Because, like you said, the media coverage isn't. isn't. or hasn't been super great through all of this, at least with what I've seen. I've seen a lot of just, like, random phone calls with people. I remember last night you sent me a picture of a press conference that was happening. Yeah. That yeah. was just, like, some guy who didn't know anything about the situation, like some official of some sort, and you said that he was taking questions and just, like, didn't know anything. Yeah, it was... So they brought in... I mean, they brought in a ton of people to help with this stuff, and one of the guys they brought in was the commissioner of the D Department of Corrections, who is, like tangentially related he's a law enforcement official and whatever but it's like if i was that guy i would be so mad that i got left by myself in this press conference like how much do i actually know about the situation how much am i actually able to comment on i'm trying to answer for these people who aren't in the room anymore it's like 
you kind of left this guy out, hung out to dry. There's still a lot of people out downtown. This is the first time they've shown TV coverage of people downtown. Um, but yeah, it's like, so there's that, or there are like, there was another moment I sent to you last night where they were on the phone with one of their reporters and he said something like quoting something that had been released by somebody. And then three minutes later, the anchor lady broke in with like, I just wanted to say this thing for the people in our audience and then said word for word the exact thing the guy had said three minutes before. And it's like, <laughs> he just said that. You're not listening. And there there have been other, other local media outlets that I've seen criticized on social media for their coverage and sort of their lack of... It's like... It's like people on TV right now are completely flummoxed by what happens. Which, like, understandably, they're in a in a place where they're not getting all the news at the same time. But it's like, can we can we find a way to help help get information to these people so that they can be better informed as they're reporting the news? And then there was another guy last night, who he's in the studio right now with the. Uh, the WCCO but he was out on the street last night and he got caught a couple times where like out of nowhere the police swooped down on the position he was in and he like had to run away it happened so when the police first came out last night he was in the middle of a march that got that was descended upon and then there was another point they went to him and he was like I was about to come to you with a live report but then stuff got hot and we had to run away and then finally, at the end of the night, he went down to the the actual location where George Floyd was killed on Monday. So he was at that intersection. And he's like, this has been the place that has been peaceful throughout this entire thing. And then at the end of his broadcast, the cops showed up and started firing rubber bullets into the crowd. It's like, this guy just had like the worst luck tonight trying to get around... Like there's some moments where you can't help but laugh at how ridiculous some things are in the middle of like a major tragedy. Yeah, another thing that I've appreciated with the civilian um, live streams of what's been happening, a lot of the media coverage from like actual news sources that I've seen has been severely focused on looting the riots and the fires and how like this is what these protesters are doing which may or may not be true in some cases but with a live stream that i was watching i think it was friday night um a fire was lit at a business establishment of some sort and the fire was spreading to a residential area and live on this live stream this guy like, knocked on the door of the people in this house and was like, hey, you guys need to get out immediately. Your house is literally on fire. And then there was, like, the homeowners were like, oh, no, our cat's still inside. And so then you watch, like, these just random civilians breaking a window, getting in, getting this cat out and back to the family. You see people, um, like, putting out the fires that have been set. And I feel like that hasn't been covered as much by news sources yeah at least not live mm -hmm. yeah when 
things were happening in Ferguson six years ago, I was watching live streams too because it was, what, 12 hours from Denver or whatever. So at that point in time, there were actual, like, reporters that I was following on the ground. One of them, the guy named Tim Poole, who at the time worked for Vice News. I don't know if he still does. But, like, since I've been off social media for two years, I don't know who who the players are or who to try and follow so i've just been looking up on reddit trying to find different people and then go to their streams and it's like people who aren't helpful another thing while i'm thinking about it there's been a lot of talk about people coming from outside of the state and how they're like outside agitators or whatever and like i don't have an issue with people coming from out of state as protesters because like this is an issue that affects everyone in this country and we've seen in multiple protests around the country in the last well i guess forever but in the last six years specifically where people concerned people are coming from out of state in order to protest it's like i don't have a problem with that and a lot of the rhetoric thus far has made it sound like anyone coming from out of state is unwelcome there's a very interesting thing in minnesota i don't know if you are aware or have picked up on this it's really present in sports specifically but there's this huge thing about whether you are quote one of us or not meaning were you born in minnesota are you from minnesota can you actually call yourself a minnesotan which like I guess is indicative of that's a thing that happens in the United States too. Like, are you American or not? But there's very much a, like a very unhelpful aspect of Minnesota pride of, are you one of us or not? Like very, in in regards to sports, people would really love to see professional coaches coming from the state of Minnesota and like actually being of the people. But uh, I think that that sort of sentiment has fed into rhetoric regarding people coming from out of state to come to address this issue. And many of the arguments I've seen on Twitter about um, people coming from out of state have been from protesters where, like, the the way that they're spreading this story of these are all people coming from out of state are trying to play into that they're not one of us and they're using that to justify the force that the police are using which in many cases that we've seen in minneapolis and around the country have been excessive and seem unprovoked to us and very well may be completely unprovoked and just police exerting force to exert force. Yeah. there's a, There are people marching in downtown. They're, they've like got a split screen going right now. People, it's the sport, sports reporter guy on one side where the big group was surrounded. But then there's another group marching through downtown, and I don't know what's going to happen with them. With, uh... The way stuff went down last night, I can't imagine they're going to get very far. I should note, I have the TV on, but I don't have the sound on, so I have no idea what's actually happening. I can't hear what they're talking about. But whatever. I think another thing that's scared me, not scared me, but I guess 
startled me about some responsive responses that I've seen on social media have been specifically in regards to the press. Because I've seen WCCO and other stations reporting, like, journalists have been fired at with tear gas and rubber bullets, or journalists have been arrested, journalists have identified themselves as press and then been arrested, yada yada yada. And a whole bunch of comments that have just been like, well, there's a curfew in effect. (laughs) Well, if you read the curfew, like the statement, it says that the press are exempt from the curfew, like we need to have the, the free media out there reporting. But just, well, there's a curfew. They're exempt. Well, yeah, but there's a curfew. What do you think exempt means? Yeah. There, are, I can understand, like, a certain level of difficulty with that. Uh, one, the commissioner of the Department of Public Safety has said that they've encountered people who have said they're press but aren't. And some of the people they arrested last night on with gun issues, like, had guns but were claiming to be press. So, like, there's that issue of how do you determine if a person is press or not, which, I mean, that's 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 a minor portion of this. But then there's the issue of if a, if a member of the press is in the middle of a crowd that gets gassed versus if there is a group of press off to the side and it looks like they are being targeted and shot at, which I think there was a mix of last night, but most of what was commented on last night was press who were off to the side and were seemingly targeted whether they were or not that's what it looked like and a lot of this is going to end up being public perception which the LA Times reporter you mentioned however long ago that was one of the things that happened with her with the uh, the WCCO photojournalist who was arrested last night he was sort of like on the in the the edges of the protest and then whenever they swooped in it even shows they showed the video and the first state trooper he encountered he like says he's from cco and the trooper like waves at him to get out of there and then he says where and i don't remember if it's like intelligible what the guy says but then the next trooper like comes up from somewhere else and like the guy ends up on the ground it's like, are you not able to communicate that this person is a journalist? Like he's carrying, he's he's carrying a camera. They show the, or even the CNN guy. He's with his camera crew live on TV. Like this is part. Of, I wish they would explain when they're doing their briefings or whatever. Are they explaining to police officers that we don't arrest the press, or are we not being clear about that? Or like the people, to bring it back again, people who were fired upon when they were on their porch last night. Like, they were allowed to be on their porch. It's not a part of the curfew that they had to be inside their house. They had to be, like, on their property. Like, are we telling the officers that they can't be firing on people who are, like, on their porch? And then what are repercussions for those officers in the future? Like, a lot of that is going to be unknown, I think to the public and for people who have been committing crimes i know the uh police chief in saint paul has said that they're going to go back and watch video footage and try to determine who people are 
like how much of that is going to be uh known to the public as the weeks or months or whatever go on as they're finding these people and potentially arresting people like it's hot right now all the all these different situations are hot and there's a lot of focus on it now but what's going to be the focus sort of in any form in the future I don't think they're in downtown anymore. I have no idea where they are now. I know a very specific portion of Minneapolis pretty well, but definitely not the south side. Definitely not, pretty much not anything outside of downtown. It just so happened that when I tuned into one of the live streams a couple nights ago, they were marching through uptown. And so it was like, they had been marching for hours, and like just when I tuned into the live stream, I was like, I know exactly where this is. <laughs> yeah. But like when Emily and I went down yesterday, I had never, I don't think I'd ever been down there. Or uh, some of the stuff, like where the third precinct is and where the target and all that other stuff is. Like I've driven past that area on the main road. It's like that road is where one of our few light rail lines is in the city. So, like, I know where that is, but I've never, like, spent time in that area. I very, We very much stayed, on, stayed in the suburbs unless we went into town for... Or went into downtown for, like, a sporting event or a concert or something. Mm-hmm. On the topic of light rail stations one of my concerns about everything that's happening is that the light rail in the minneapolis area has been shut down until i think tomorrow morning possibly tomorrow evening and then several of the main freeways most of the main freeways in minneapolis have been barricaded for certain spots and my concern is getting like essential workers in and out of the city because many people yeah. we haven't even talked about this yet we're in the middle of a pandemic <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah because i believe that there are probably many people who rely on public transport to get to and from work be it firefighters or um, nurses doctors whatever else has been deemed essential right now and so getting those workers into their jobs is concerning and i feel like it's a if they can't get into their jobs and they start losing money then we we have begun roping this um more of a racial issue into also the economic issue just kind of proving that like these issues don't exist on their own there are underlying factors of each issue and other issues yeah there's a lot that's interconnected but yes, we are also in a pandemic. And I, some of the reason I had to stop looking at Twitter yesterday was people commenting, one in particular, about, don't these people care that we're in the middle of a pandemic? It's like, at some point, there are some things that are more important than other things. And people have to make decisions about what they feel is more important than something else. Yeah, I was in Des Moines yesterday for a March... And many people were wearing masks. Um, Social distancing was not kept at all. But I think it's kind of hard to keep social distance in a protest. 
Um, but many people were wearing masks. They had people who had signs like, ask me for a mask, who were carrying the um, surgical masks. So it was like, there is still concern about the coronavirus. But like you said, you have to decide which thing is more important. And I think yeah. people have decided that the systems of racial injustice are more important than the pandemic, which at some point will hopefully go away on its own. I think yeah. is what people are hoping. <laughs> which it won't, but... It, it won't. There's going to need to be it's an like every, but... <laughs> every step of the way, people have been like, well, it can't survive in the heat. Well, it can't survive in sunlight. Well, and that's just like over and over and over. It's only affecting the old people. It's like... <laughs> Yesterday, I will say yesterday is the first time I wore a face covering at all during this two-month deal because, because like, it's one of those things where I don't care, but I know other people care, and so I'll wear the face covering because other people care about it. Plus, there were a couple thousand people down where we were yesterday. That's another thing the governor mentioned the other day is that they realize that coronavirus cases are going to go up here in the next few days and weeks because of all of this stuff that's going on. I think one of the, in my personal opinion, it was the worst take I have seen about everything so far. It was a post that I saw on Facebook. Not going to mention any names or even how I know this person, but this person was saying that they believe all these protests are organized by extreme groups to push some sort of agenda. And then the comments, someone was like, like, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, who do you think it is? And this person somehow looped in the conversation of, well, I think this protest was organized by the people who are spreading the virus that Bill Gates paid for. It's like, where are you getting your information? This person claiming that, A, Bill Gates paid for the coronavirus to be released. B, the protests are a front for releasing the virus that Bill Gates apparently paid for. And C, there are no real reasons, quote-unquote, why these people could be protesting. I mean <laughs> that specific silence is going to remain in the edits for as long as it was because that's how capable I am of responding to that <laughs> I was thinking this this reminds me, but this, it is not included in what I'm about to say, what you just talked about. Part of part of the reason that conspiracy theories, that a lot of them are able to have legs, is because there are a lot of times where conspiracies have actually been real. And a lot of times where the government has been involved in those things. But, like, there are other, there are other like what you just talked about, like that has no foundation in anything like a lot of i since it's recent the most 
what I compare a lot of these sort of statements to are is the flat earth movement. It's like it's so like how are you going to argue with someone who thinks like that? They're not using logic or they're saying they're using logic. And so whatever since whatever you say doesn't fit inside of their logic, they're not going to listen to you. It's like when you don't agree on facts, people aren't going to listen to you. Which I guess is sort of a the theme of this movement right now. Well. Yeah, so we've been recording for a while, so I think we should include some sort of, like, general takeaways, what either we have taken away or what we want our listeners to take away from this. So do you have anything? Yeah. I guess I haven't talked about this yet, and I thought about talking about it. A lot of, as I've been trying to figure out what I'm doing with my life, has been trying to figure out where geographically I'm going specifically. And a lot have a lot of that has been focused on getting out of Minnesota. I think in the last week I felt like I don't think I can leave. It feels like I'm abandoning my city at this point to leave. It's like there we I like no matter no matter what happens, I'm gonna be from Minneapolis. Like, I will identify with Minneapolis as my city. And it feels like, like I said, leaving feels like abandoning it. As it's in, at this point, a moment in crisis. But as time goes on, a moment where a time where change needs to happen. And it's going to take a long, a long freaking time. Um, a couple things, I guess, off the top of my head. Um, people do need to find ways to educate themselves. Um, there are a lot of different resources available. We'll see if we're able to link to some things in show notes or on, uh, the YouTube notes or on Patreon or whatever. Uh, additionally, I will link to the videos I took yesterday and some of the pictures I took those will end up on the Patreon. Um, I mean, these people are like one cop to one person, like leading them to buses. It's the strangest thing to watch. Um, other things. I mean, these are real issues. Like, at a certain point, anecdotal evidence needs to prove to people who are seeing things anecdotally that this is actually systemic and there are statistics that bear out that these are systemic and people need to understand that the statistics are real as well that's a part i think of people educating themselves um another thing that needs to be understood is that solving these issues is going to take a lot of time and a lot of effort um a lot of these changes are going to need to happen legislatively in the middle of a political environment that is incredibly fractured. Um, hopefully things like this specific incident will help actually bring people together. I know it hasn't been thus far. People, when, when issues like this happen, 
when incidents like this happen, a lot of focus gets pushed onto what's happening after the fact, not onto the issues that are brought up by the actual incidents. So there needs to be a focus on that. Um, I don't know, make friends with people who aren't like you. Hear their stories. A lot, I've, I stopped thinking of people as voiceless a long time ago. And the issue isn't that people are voiceless. The issue is that people aren't listening to people. So there needs to be people listening. We're not here to give a voice to the voiceless. We're here to listen to people who've been screaming for a long time. I don't think I have anything else if you have other things to add. Yeah, so just speaking for myself and based off the experiences that I had attending protests and marches yesterday, or protest and march yesterday, um... Like you said, these are big issues, and I think a lot of the work that can be done needs to come from white people, because white people do have some sort of privilege in society, like I mentioned earlier. Um, So I think that if we, as white people, focus our energy more on helping people who are disadvantaged by our systems, who are facing these troubles and are unable to walk away from them like we can um lost track of where i started that sentence things Um, you learned at protest and march you went to yesterday i don't remember after that i'm still watching tv (laughs) um yeah so basically uh, white people stand up educate yourself i tweeted about it um don't expect people to educate you. It's not their job. It's not um, a black person's duty to educate you. It's your person. Your. It's your responsibility to educate yourself so you can help your friends who hold marginalized identities. Um, and then just a thing that I tried to reinforce on Snapchat that I think I maybe mentioned earlier in the podcast, like an hour and a half ago. Um, There was a lot of talk yesterday in Ames of we all bleed the same color, which, yes. But then there was also a talk along that same line that was like, there is no such thing as race. The Hispanic race, the black race, that does not exist. We are all the human race. Which, like, yes, we are all humans. However, we should not be trying to erase people's race and people's experience as people of color in this country. Like, that specifically influences the way they experience this country, and we should recognize that and be willing to accept that not everyone's experience is the same as ours. Our experience with whatever systems are in place is not the same way other people experience things. And, like, the whole I don't see race isn't a good benchmark for how um, we should run our country 
run our country if we want to make an effect change that will positively impact marginalized communities, minority groups, what have you. Yeah. And then also I just wanted to do kind of a... Um, if you are financially able right now, I know there are a lot of people who are struggling with these things. Um, so just off the top of my head with the notes that I have pulled up on my laptop, there are several bail funds which are across the country. Um, Minneapolis, Atlanta, Louisville, um, major cities. If you're interested in helping um, pay for the bail of protesters who have been imprisoned or jailed, I guess, for protesting, there are also um, a whole bunch of small businesses that have been destroyed, either burned to the ground or um, looted in some sense. If you're interested in supporting those... There was one particular fundraiser that was, like, specifically for the businesses on Lake Street in Minneapolis, which is mostly small businesses and or businesses that are minority-owned. And so those people, if you're interested in donating money, I believe, personally, that your money would be better spent donating to one of those people than trying to, like, donate to Target or a large corporation. Yeah. They were uh, they were talking about something about the tanker on TV. I think they released the guy's name. The guy that drove into the protest. So I was focusing on that for a minute there. Um, yeah. To piggyback on what you said, race matters. And it is it is it is very deeply woven into the history of this country and the reason that a lot of things are the way they are. And yeah. Find a find a way to give or I guess if you're in the area, find a way to participate in something. Or I mean I guess even if you're not in the area, there are ways to participate in wherever you live. Mm-hmm. This isn't just a Minneapolis issue. This isn't just a wherever any of these individual things happen. This is a issue across the country. An issue around the world, but this certain one is... There are some particular things for our country. Well, I don't even know how long we've been doing this. Almost two hours. I need to go to the bathroom, so... Yeah, I think just one more um, caveat that I would like to add. You and I are both white people, and we are... At least me in particular, my, like, academic focus has not been specifically on race relations. So there are things that we could be misinformed on or underinformed on or um, spouting inaccurately. And... Uh, we're not trying to offend anyone with misinformation or rhetoric that could be harmful to marginalized groups. Um, 
we are trying to educate ourselves, but we still may stumble, say something stupid. So if we do say something stupid, um, please let us know in a respectful manner and not a attackative, that's not a word, manner. Yeah. Inaccurate information is not intended, and it will be corrected if it is there. Additionally, um, we need to be able to speak openly about a lot of these issues because there are a lot of things that people aren't willing to say that they need to say out loud in order to help change what they believe or understand, us included. Mm-hmm. So hopefully all of this has been taken as such. Yeah, and there can so, be some grace given on everyone's part. Yeah, and we can provide our experiences and our um, what we've learned academically, but we have not had the first-hand experience of living as a black person or a person of color in this country, so... If anyone who identifies with that has a problem with what we're saying, please let us know. Yep. I also have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. So I guess we'll end that for now. This wasn't uh, this wasn't what we had intended on talking about a week ago, but uh, circumstances have led to the need to address these things to the desire to address these things so that's why we're here mm-hmm